you on eight. You on eight. Okay, you're clear. Stand by for your base. Welcome to EMS Cast, where we provide high-level education for you, the providers on the streets. I'm your host, Ross Orpit, and first, a message from Legal. The views expressed on this episode are the views solely of that of the host and those individuals being interviewed. They do not reflect the views of their respective employers. Now, the episode. Today, we have a very special episode. We're going to hear from a good friend. My name is James Glenn Andrews. Glenn is a seasoned paramedic with over three decades of experience. He's worked in a variety of settings from ambulances to hospitals to classrooms and backcountry settings, including search and rescue and ski patrol. Before I moved out here to Colorado, I was an ophthalmic dispenser out of New York City and found that profession to not be quite as exciting and Got into EMS at Clear Creek County, Alpine Rescue Team, 1986. Started with Clear Creek Ambulance, got a full-time job over in Summit County Ambulance, and ended up being a Dr. Gordon prodigy out of St. Anthony's, one of the early programs here in Denver. Glenn, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to this episode and hearing from you. You are a... ACLS instructor, you teach what, how many courses a year? I teach a couple hundred, actually. I've been with a lady named Midge Burroughs who owns EdCore now for 28 years. Wow. Okay. So you teach a couple hundred ACLS classes a year. Couple hundred. And something very unique happened to you how long ago now? Well, it was July 21st, 2020 was um, the start of my story here. Take us through that day. What happened on July 21st? Well, let's back up a week before I was up in the wilderness, Indian wilderness range up around Loch Lomond, running around tree line, having a good time. No shortness of breath, no discomfort. The week before July 21st, Glenn was hiking in the wilderness, feeling great. He's normally a pretty active guy, having participated on search and rescue and ski patrol for a lot of his adult life. And then he returned to work just as usual. Worked my Sunday and Monday shift, as I do normally, 7 to 7 at at University of Colorado. And that day, we just happened to be having a very high-volume day. And there was a little drama at work. And every night after the shift, we go up to the 15th floor, which is two floors above the helipad, and always take some new employees or some employees with us. There's a a um, walk up Everest, where if you do it 37 times, it's the distance of Everest. And a lot of people have prayer flags up there and and a lot of goals have been met up there. Glenn had just finished two grueling and busy days in the emergency department. These were stressful days, but still he ended each day with a walk up to the 15th floor of the hospital. He was feeling fine when he left work, but when he got home, something changed. When I got home, I, I felt a little little pain in my rhomboids, and then I had a zing right here in, in my pectoralis muscles. It's like a little electrical jab. 
As one does, Glenn begins to explain away the feelings he's experiencing. I was thinking that we had been doing a lot of push-ups, and and I was kind of amazed that I was giving getting this kind of soreness since we had been working out for a, a couple of, of weeks, if not months. And it just felt like a soreness, but instead of just having one side, it was a, a quick zing right in right where your deltoids and your pectoralis meet. Had you ever felt anything like this before? Never felt like anything like that that before. So I took a little little Advil and a half of half of a Zolpidem and and decided to call it a night because I had to um, work the next morning, a 7 a.m. shift. You had these odd pains that you've never felt before, and you took some Advil and some... Yeah, some Zolpidem. I was just going to kind of sleep it off and get ready to go back and get beat up in the emergency department. Glenn went to bed thinking he was just going to sleep this off. And then I, I got up like at two o'clock in the morning and I thought maybe I'll go do a GI cocktail. I, I have history of esophageal reflex and had taken some omeprazole the night before. And when I got down to the refrigerator, I, I noticed I had my left hand kind of behind my head like I was in a half Nelson. I was the only one downstairs and I kind of said to myself, why do you have your hand behind your, your, your head? And a little guy on my shoulder said, it's because your left arm really hurts bad. And what were you thinking at that moment? You now have these, were you still having that pain in your kind of pec delt? No, I I didn't have that. I had more of this esophageal um, discomfort that, that I had thought it was, was GERD and windy who is a nurse up at Broomfield had listened to me complain about the events at the, you the the day before and I went upstairs and I woke her up and I said you know this GERD discomfort is a little bit different so she walked down and I continued to do a little viscous lidocaine and some some Maalox and and now by now this discomfort had developed into some kind of like chest tightness. So at this point Glenn starts to realize this pain is different. It's not a normal soreness from working out. It's not his normal GERD. In fact, it's not like any discomfort he's really ever felt before. And so what does he do? Does he call 911? No, of course not. Well, like any good paramedic, I went to the I went to the the medicine cabinet and chewed 481 milligram chewable aspirin and I I got a a great idea of since I have a bunch of mannequins and ACLS stuff out in the garage, I should go out and get my Zoll M series and bring it upstairs and do a little 12 lead on myself. Okay. So you've started to think this is a different pain than my normal GERD. I'm a little concerned about this pain. I'm a little concerned to the point where I'm going to take some baby aspirin, but rather than call 911, you decide, Hey, I have a 12 lead monitor. Maybe I'll shook myself up. Exactly. And in the hindsight, I, I wouldn't really recommend this type of um, um, denial, but it was my denial. And and so went and, and did proper Eindhoven's triangle to make sure we got a nice a nice tracing. And my 2-3 and AVL looked pretty good. I was a little bit more tachycardic, not bradycardic, and, and got uh, leads. I was in lead three, so... Shooting off of a V lead, I was 
I was looking at lead V3 and V4. and So this monitor, is this... This monitor just have four leads then? Are you just moving these four leads around to different locations? Yeah, we actually call it a hasty 12 lead where we look at one, two, and three using nine Tobin's triangle. And when you're in lead three, you can actually shoot true V leads. Okay, so d describe this to me. You have a four lead monitor, which normally hooks up to your right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg. And you're now taking one of these leads. Which lead are you using to move around the different recordial leads? Well, I'm in lead three. What is that? Which leg? Like, which extremity is that? So that lead three is plus 120 looking to the right. And as we move the red lead across the precordial, it actually gives us a true V lead. If I had stayed in lead two, I would have got the same results. But we would have called that a modified chest lead. Okay. So if we're using, if I'm, if I'm recalling my days from being a paramedic, I'm using my mnemonic. It's, it's white on right smoke over fire. So the white lead goes on the right side, the smoke, which is the black lead goes on the left arm over the fire, which is the red lead on the left leg. So you're taking that left leg and you're moving it around the precordium. Yes. Gotcha. But I've, I've moved the monitor lead into lead three. Okay, so on the monitor, you're looking at lead three and you're moving that that left leg or that red lead around. Yes. And I thought to myself, man, I must have this hooked up to a simulator. Why? What were you seeing? Well, I was seeing not necessarily ST elevation in the beginning, but it was more of hyperacute T waves. And by now, this discomfort was really starting to to um, overcome myself. So I, I turned the monitor off thinking that, that when I turned it back on, just like turning on a vacuum cleaner, I might get some better results. V3 and V4, you initially noticed you said a hyperacute T wave. Describe what did this T wave look like? It was, it was hyperacute. So it, it wasn't pointing like a T wave, but you could tell that it was it was different. That's why I thought by turning off the monitor and resetting it, it, it and make sure that my amplitude was set at 1.5, that that everything was going to be sure. Be maybe fine. maybe it was just a filter. Yeah, it was just a filter. Thing. Okay. And when I turned it back on, the J point elevation had had developed more of ST T segments in my anterior leads. Like troubleshooting a computer that's malfunctioning, Glenn follows every IT specialist's first piece of advice, and he turns the equipment off and back on again, thinking this would fix the problem. But instead of fixing the problem, things now look worse. He wasn't just seeing hyperacute T waves now, he was starting to see some concerning J-point elevation. Well, it, it was ST elevated about two to three millimeters, and I had come to the conclusion that I didn't accidentally have it hooked up to a simulator. And by that time, I know through my teaching, I have talked about strokes and, and acute chest discomfort about calling 911. So we called Arvada Fire, and I think I took a quick shower real <laughs> fast just in... in Got to look pretty for those firefighters. Yeah, huh? look pretty for the, <laughs> the firefighters. And I was thinking to myself, after taking through taking care of so many hundreds or if not thousands of these type patients, what I was actually experiencing was denial and that I was getting ready to surrender all my training and all my knowledge. And luckily my, my denial was only 40 minutes. 
what was your pain like at this time? What were you feeling as you're going through this this 12 lead on yourself? So a lot of times with myocardial ischemia, the, the proper wording is not pain. It was a, a tremendous amount of pressure. And as we had discussed earlier, the scale of one to 10 works for a kidney stone or a broken leg. My discomfort, the squeezing and not able to to take a deep breath was was closing the the 50 mark it was very very uncomfortable and a tightness that i had never never experienced before so this was like a discomfort that you've never experienced and i think you you said something very important there and i've i've experienced this myself as i as i've treated patients with st elevation mis is we often talk about chest pain and when you're talking to the patient you also we often just reflexively ask them like how is your pain but you're saying this felt very different from like uh, i just cut my arm or i just broke my bone this was not like a sharp pain this was like a very different feeling you were experiencing. Exactly. The the discomfort was such an, an intense squeezing of the circumferential of the whole chest. And I was slightly diaphoretic. And now, as you know, with, with any any patient that's sick, you get that small bit of, of anxiety. Okay. That I was I was surrendering I, and I knew something now that my body was telling me something that that I had never felt before. Okay. So you're feeling this squeezing that you've just, you've never experienced anything like it. The it's most a- intense thing Ross have ever, ever felt in my life. Okay. Incredibly uncomfortable. Was it still radiating? It was, it, it was, con- um, it was constant. It wasn't intermittent anymore. I had determined that this was not a esophageal reflex disease and, um, being with all my years in the ambulance, I was very comfortable when the ambulance walked, uh, drove up to walk right in back of the ambulance. I was in my boxers. I didn't, I didn't decide to get dressed because I, I promote having people in gowns and. Thought and, you'd make the job of the nurses a little easier. Yeah, the paramedics and. Uh, I know a lot of the Arvada guys, and the paramedic asked me, what, what's wrong? And I said, I think something's wrong with my LAD. Wow. Okay. And then what happened? What did the paramedics do? Well, they checked my blood pressure, and of course, they checked it bilaterally, because as a young person with no history of coronary artery disease, and even though I wasn't having back discomfort, this could be an indication of a root dissection. So they went ahead and um, started an IV on me, which one missed, and I was very proud when the female firefighter put a 16 gauge in my right forearm, and they hooked up a little bit of fluids and uh, did the 12 lead and handed me the 12 lead, and I asked them if we're running hot or routine. Okay, and what did that 12 lead look like to you? Well, the paramedic handed me the 12 lead, and of course, I could see that that this was real. You know, and all through ACLS and stuff, we practice uh, interpreting EKGs, especially in the worst lead, lead two, but looking at at 12 lead patterns. And I knew that when they put the the pads on me that had the, the feedback puck on the lower third of my sternum, that this was not a training uh, situation. And I asked where... I was being taken, and they had told me that Lutheran was the 
was the best place to perform PCI. At this moment, Glenn can no longer deny what's going on. Staring at his own 12 lead, realization finally sinks in that without a doubt, he is having a STEMI. He has spent the good majority of his career treating patients having an MI. For something like the last two decades, he has taught all kinds of providers in over 200 classes a year how to recognize this and act fast. And here he is now on the bed instead of standing over the bed, a patient himself. And my kid was sitting out and and at the car and I was thinking, you know, a lot of the, our patients that come in from DIA have an arrhythmia and that's it. And it was my first time I'd ever really been faced with, with death. You know, the possibility that I might have an arrhythmia going in and that will be the last thing that I remember. The ambulance doors close and they begin running lights and sirens to the closest cath lab. In route, Glenn gets nitro, but maybe somewhat surprisingly, that doesn't seem to be what gives him the most amount of relief. Yep, they after after we got the 12 lead and knowing that it, that it wasn't an inferior or right right ventricular involvement, and I was a little hypertensive. They did give me 0.4 sublingual, but I think the best was the 100 micrograms of of fentanyl. It allowed me some time to think. I think in the emergency department we're we're so fast on you need to answer all of our questions and click all the boxes before we give you any pain meds. And I would have loved to answer all the questions, but when the chest tightness, that, that squeezing circumferential in your chest is approaching a scale of 50, you need that, that anal analgesic to, to let you breathe and actually think about the situation that's going on. Almost like your mind couldn't focus on anything other than that discomfort right then and there. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't my mind. It was my body telling me something is really, really going on. So what did that 0.4 of nitro do for you? Anything? Do you know, I'm sure it, it caused a little coronary vasodilation, but what I do remember is the almost instant relief of the of the 100 micrograms of fentanyl. Interesting. It gave me enough time to to be able to answer questions. And I knew that we were um, running emergent. And I remember looking out the back and seeing that we were going past the Costco there at 52nd and, and Wadsworth. So I knew that 38th and, and Wadsworth and Lutheran were, were pretty pretty close. Anything during that transport that stood out to you? Well, the paramedics gave me um, a lot of insurance and reassurance. I remember uh, there were three people in the back, and I'm sure that one person was ready to jump on that feedback device if, if there was an arrhythmia. And I remember them notifying the hospital, which is one of the the big dynamics of advanced cardiac life support is pre-hospital notification for burn alert, OB alert, stroke alert, trauma alert, and in this case, a, a cardiac alert. So I knew a hospital report was given and that I would be, the guy that usually receives the care is now going to be the guy that's, that's going to be on the other end of the care. 
talk to me what it was like to be on the other end of that care. What, how did you perceive that reception and, and what was going on around you and the treatments that were going on? Well, in, in the first, when we first called 911, it was a great sense of, of what I described as surrendering, that I had always been the person giving care, and now I'm, I'm calling 911 and not having someone drive me to the emergency department and, and giving all my years of, of experience to, to the Arvada Fire Department. About six months prior, um, our little ACLS company had done ACLS for the cardiovascular team down at, at Lutheran. So when I first rolled in, Scott Valent, the chief plumber, the uh, interventional cardiologist, grabbed my hand and he said, I'm not planning on doing ACLS tonight. I said, please, let's not. Wow. So did they get you up to the cath lab pretty quickly? Then? They got me up. Door to balloon was 15 15 minutes they did give me some more pain medicine i think they they gave me some uh, nitro they shot a quick sitting ap got a second secondary iv on me and i was able to keep my phone unknowingly um, into the cath lab because i ended up having a bunch of pictures of myself and the and the monitor there going into the cast lab and and I remember getting some intake and and I believe the art line was getting ready to go in and in my right radius and I must have got some Versed and that's about all I all I remember. And what did they find? Well when they got in I had a distal distal lesion on my on my LAD. And I had some other, other coronary artery disease in my other arteries, not enough to, to um, open. But they did put a stent in my, in my LAD. And I woke up in the cardiac cath lab thinking, like, my life changed. And being up, I've land up in fair play and, and being up in the mountains the weeks before, and just running around with no hint of any any sort of cardiovascular disease and within hours my life had changed if this had happened 6 hours before i would have st- still been at work at uh, university hospital and how has your how has your life been since this event well, Ross, the very first four or five months, when you get scared, you do stuff like buy a, a Zoll AED Plus because you you want to be able to to travel up to the mountains and, and do stuff. But I think being scared, which cardiac rehab helped me get over being scared and and knowing that I could do stuff and I wasn't I wasn't going to have a a lethal arrhythmia and make sure that the people around me know that that yes not only do we have a zol m series but we have a zol ad plus which is out in your driveway if something happens now <laughs> that we can um um use for other people and or and or myself this past year i i've 
work. I'm one of the paid paramedics up at Loveland Ski Area, and just being up there and and doing the morning checks and stuff. Slowly, I got over kind of the fear of of what post MI brings to you as being scared about doing everything. I, I would take the trash out at night and I would say, if I don't come back in like a minute, please come, please come check on me or, or I'm pulling in, into Lowe's and I'm going to be walking, carrying some wood. If I don't call you in like five minutes, it was being scared is, is a huge part of it. Wow. So you work as a paramedic at Loveland Ski Area. You work as a paramedic at the University of, uh, Hospital here in Colorado, and you teach ACLS. How has this experience changed how you do your work or how you view your work? Well, one thing it gave me after, after I came to a full conclusion is that I have wisdom and knowledge. As a educator and and a 28-year veteran of, of teaching advanced cardiac life support, now I've been on both sides. We all know about treating algorithms and, and doing our tachycardia and our bradycardia and our acute coronary syndrome, but until you've been on both sides, it's really about for me now, the trust, trusting those, those patients and the nurses that were caring for you. Is there anything that you've learned from this, going through this yourself that you would hope to impart on, on other paramedics out there? I think whether it's paramedics or family, when your family members or your friends have this chest discomfort or stroke type symptoms, you have to Either if you're in the UK, call 999, Europe 112, or here in the US, 911, and be evaluated at a, at a facility that can handle acute coronary events or, or cerebral events. Because a lot of people do what I did, and luckily my, my denial was only 40 minutes. And looking back, I knew something when I took the aspirin and I reconfirmed by doing my own 12 lead. Might not have been the best judgment at the time, but I would think 99.8% of the people aren't going to have that option. And, and to use the emergency services appropriately. And hopefully you're not having an MI and you're not having a stroke, but there's one way to really evaluate that is to have an exam and an evaluation at a at a facility caring for these patients it's difficult because we can't be in their shoes we can't truly feel what they're feeling obviously you describe this sensation of feeling this extreme discomfort that you couldn't focus on anything else and it was unlike anything you've ever felt before but as providers, we can't put ourselves in those patients' shoes. And so something that I always teach early providers is that make the patient prove to you that they're not sick. Take everybody's 
chief complaint at face value and work it up and prove yourself either through your history and physical exam or through the tools that you have, like your monitors and your labs, and prove to yourself that they're not sick before you dismiss that patient. Exactly. Because I, w- I was the last person to think that I had just done 15 floors of of the stairs at university and, and came home and at, absolutely had no symptoms. Now, if we back up a while, I was in Spain for the month of February, which I came back either from Spain or, or at the U. I, I got very sick with COVID-19. And this happened maybe four to six weeks after I, I had recovered. So I had had some shortness of breath and body aches and fevers and stuff prior than that, but I did not seek emergency care for that. Yeah, this is something that was so different to you that caused you to be so concerned that you called 911, despite having all of your knowledge and all of these other symptoms that you're able to avoid going to the emergency department. Something about this was different, which is why it's so important when somebody does call you on the ambulance. Something is potentially different that day that you need to make sure is not going on. It's not something life-threatening. Exactly. And a lot of times in the old days, we used to say another drunk attitudes, another drunk lawsuit. And these patients, we're all human and and they deserve a a decent ALS or physician level exam. And if we see something and the patient still wants to refuse, we have the ability to call base contact and give them their options that this could result in, in death. But in someone like my situation and and the MIs that that we've seen since that, they're seeking emergency care because their body is telling them that this chest tightness, this squeezing, this elephant on their chest is very uncomfortable. Thank you so much, Glenn, for coming on to chat with us today. Is there is there anything else you want to say before we finish today? Well, I just want to say for all of you EMS people out there, we're in a, under a, a lot of stress right now, and especially with uh, the COVID and the, the clotting. And keep an eye on your, your health and your, your cholesterol and your, your symptoms, because the latter part could have been sudden cardiac death. And... And pay attention to your body and don't be afraid to surrender or call for help when you, when you feel that you, you need it. So thank you, Ross, for having me and listening to my story. Thanks, Glenn. I'm so happy that you're here today to be able to tell me this story and that you called 911 that day. 